stay standing for a minute. So let's do this. If, you, if you're active duty, right, stay standing. If you're active duty, just slip your hand up where you are. Just slip your hand up where you are. And if you're just close to them, can, come, you can just gather around them and put a hand on the shoulder. We just want to pray for them. Active duty. Just keep your hand up. Come on. We believe in prayer at the City Life Church. Father, we just lift up these men and women to you right now. We thank you for their sacrifice. We thank you for their courage. And we just pray that you would raise up a hedge of protection around them, God. We pray that there would be divine intervention for them and those that they serve with, God. We pray, Father, that blessing would just be poured out upon their life. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into their laps. As your word says, fill them up, O God, with the power power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said together, amen. It's good. All right, so come on, I have to, I have to make at least a couple of comments. I, how, how can I not, right? So, so George Richack, he wins the Scary Mustache Award. He's got the I'm not letting my children around him mustache. So I don't think George is, is, is George here? I don't think George and Sharon are here, so crazy. And, and can, where's, where's Tim Rogers? Is Tim in here right now? Is Tim in? He's in the back. He's in the back there. Did you see how long that cigarette was hanging out of his mouth? I mean, when I was growing up, I thought Virginia Slims were a woman's cigarette. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, it's good. I watched that on Friday. I was like, wow. And he didn't actually have any pictures of the military, so they just took those last week. So... So good. So we just thank the Walls family for just initiating that, putting that together, just absolutely rich. And again, for those of you that serve, just our, our hearts go out to you, and we're humbled, humbled by your, uh, your, your sacrifice on our behalf. So, well, this is week six. Have you been enjoying the series? This has been such a rich series for us as a church, City Life After Dark. And if you want to learn more about what that phrase represents and what it means, you can hop onto our website and you can get the podcast uh, for that for the very first week and we go into detail. But, but just in short, it speaks to something that often happens after church where everybody loves to get together, but it also speaks to who we are. It speaks to the culture of this church. It speaks to a resolve that we all share that we've just decided we are gonna stop denying ourselves some of our deepest needs. And one of the deepest needs that you and I have is to ask the questions that we carry in our heart about faith and spirituality. That we're going to be a congregation of people that is not afraid to say, I don't understand that, or I'm not sure I agree with that, or that confuses me, or I have doubts. That The City Life Church is a place where we say, come on, we don't have the answers to all your questions, but we know the one who does. So let's go on a journey and ask him together because he's got all the answers that we could ever hope to have. We love this verse here in Luke chapter 9 verse 45. It says, but they didn't know what he meant, the disciples in reference to Jesus after one of his teachings. Its significance was hidden from them so they couldn't understand it. All of us find ourselves at times in life where we're a little bit perplexed. All of us at times find ourselves in life where we're reading the Bible and we say, I'm not sure I understand what that means. The first part of that verse is going to continue to define our lives. That's unavoidable. But the second part of this verse should never speak to you. It should never speak to me. And it's certainly not ever going to speak to the culture of our church. And they were afraid to 
to ask him about it. We are going to be a church. That's part of what this series has been about, to say, come on, let's tackle some of the tough questions together. So every week we've been picking a question. Every week we've been dialing in on a question. If, is it possible for me to be so heavenly minded that I'm not going to be of any earthly good? We wrestled with that one week. We talked about, can I rely on myself? And looking at the, 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 the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so if you were with us last week, then you know that we took up this question. We're going to be on this one last week, this week, and then we're wrapping up the series next week, continuing this with part three. But what makes something a sin? Right? Haven't you ever asked yourself that? I mean, who gets to decide? Who gets to say this is right and that's wrong? I mean, some of it's pretty clear. Some of it, it's, we understand. It's almost intuitive. There's something called a universal morality. You go to any country, and there's some rules that you can find from one culture to the next that have been around from the beginning of time. But then there's some other areas where we just say, well, why is that right? Why is that wrong? And so I'm sharing with you five questions that I ask myself when I'm facing this big question. And last week we talked about this idea of how, is, am I giving God the final say? That's where it's got to start for us. There's got to be a resolve in our heart that says, in the, at the end of the day, no matter what I'd prefer, at the end of the day, no matter what I'd like, am I giving God the final say on the matter? And so tonight we're going to pick up with a second one, and then next week we're going to end up with the last three. So the text that we've been looking at starting last week is Matthew 15, verses 1 through 20. Matthew 15, 1 through 20. And I'm not going to read that again for us this week, but if you're a note taker, we also put the notes up onto our website so you can download that as well. But I hope you spend some time reading this. We read through it together last week. And, and if you were here last week, you know that the conversation starts because Jesus is irritated by the religious leaders of his day. He's irritated that they have become OCD in regards to the keeping of religious traditions. So last week, right, we had some fun. I think that was one of the funniest participation moments that we've ever had in the history of the church. Are you with me? So we brainstormed together the OCD tendencies that we have. So, right, because nothing's ever sacred at the City Life Church. I have some gifts based upon some of the OCD tendencies. Janelle, I found you a travel lint remover right here. So Janelle, you can pass that down to Janelle. Janelle shared that it's bothersome to her whenever she's around people and they have lint on their clothes. And so she's developed this skill like a ninja to be able to remove the lint without you knowing that she touched you. So if you've been in a worship service and you thought it was the hand of God, it might have best been Janelle. Might have just been Janelle. All right, so what else do I have in here? Wayne and Denise aren't here, so they're having some issues with little Landon. But we got, uh, we got, we got Wayne a pedometer. Because if you were here last week, you know that, that he shared. He made himself pretty vulnerable, so we're going to make fun of that. <clears throat> Which really isn't setting myself up for success for the participation moment that's coming in the service, right? So he, when he goes somewhere, he, only has to, he always has to do even number steps. He can't finish on, on odd number steps. So this, I've seen pedometers that show distance. This one counts the actual steps that you're taking. So if you've ever been in a conversation with Wayne, he's walking up to you, and then right at the very end, right, if he goes like this, he just had to get that last one in <laughs> to get to an even number. So, all right. I have two more. I have two more. I don't know, if, is, uh, is Jasmine here? Is she here? I don't know if she's here. So she shared soon after Janelle that people who have messed up eyebrows bother her. So we made a rule last week for the City Life Church. You're allowed to pick lint off of people, but you're not allowed to fix their eyebrows. 
That's crossing a line. So we got her an, uh, an eyebrow grooming brush right here. So, but if she tries to use this on you, you tell her I said that that was wrong. So, all right, this is my last one, my last one. All the visitors are going. I hope it gets a little bit more substantive than this, right? All right, I promise, I promise. So, so I've heard of a lot of people have organized closets. I'm a very type A personality person, so I have a very organized closet. But last, last weekend was the first time I've ever heard of anybody organizing their clothes by the colors of the rainbow. So this is for Jessica Ashworth. This is a pony rainbow collection. And so these are all the ponies. So she can keep this in the nursery, right? So that if she's ever, there's Tyler right there. So that's for Tyler's lovely wife. So now I know nobody's participating in the, in later in the service. So. So I was out this week and I saw some of those like, oh, we have, we've got to buy those, right? So Jesus here in Matthew chapter 15, he's, he's, he's upset with the religious leaders because they're more focused on people keeping traditions that really have no basis in truth. And it's gotten to the point where it's, it's, it's so burdensome on people that there's no freedom and liberty in their relationship with God. And I think he's also frustrated with them because they've conditioned people to just follow a set of rules. They, they've conditioned people, they've created a dependent relationship where they can no longer think for themselves. They, they come into a, a, a religious community and they just want someone to give them a list of rules. Tell me the do's and tell me the don'ts. And I think Jesus is saying, hey, that's not what this is about. Hey, are there some do's? Sure there are. Are there some don'ts? Most certainly there are. We're going to get into some of those next week together. But Jesus is saying as a spiritual leader, one of your most sacred responsibilities is to teach people how to think for themselves, to teach people to wrestle with these questions, with God and in community. And so that's what we're saying as a church. When we're trying to figure out the answer to the question, what is sin, that, that, that you don't have to say, if Pastor Fred doesn't tell me, I'm not going to know. No, 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 no. Come on. That you're going to say, hey, I can walk through these same five questions just like he does, and I can come up with an answer. And part of that journey might be talking to other people. We're going to get into that a little bit later. But God wants you to be able to have a sense of confidence. I know how to work through the answers to these questions and come up with a good answer. And the first one last week is God has the final say. This one is this week, which I know comes as a little bit of surprise. Sin that expires. And I think out of all the five that we're going to look at, does God have the final say? Is this a sin that has an expiration day? And then the other three that we're going to give you next week. I think this one might be the one that might come as the biggest surprise. This one might be the one that if you had come up with your own list trying to anticipate what the five questions were going to be, this one might not have been on your list. So to get our right, brains and our hearts moving in the right direction, church is a participatory sport here at the City Life Church, or at least it used to be. What are some things that have expiration dates? Just in your, in your everyday life, not in a, in a spiritual sense, Derek. Milk, driver's license. Did somebody have a hand up up here? No, all right, Emily. Milk, yes. Yogurt, yes. Coupons, I know, right when you want to use them, right? They're expired, Sandy. Credit cards, expiration date. Somebody else, Kim? Medications, yes. Cereal, expiration dates. Somebody else? What else? Expiration dates? Greg. State inspection sticker coming from a law enforcement officer right there, people. You better be checking those. I saw him, had, he was out in the parking lot with a pad in his hand. I'm not sure. So is he putting flyers on people's cars? 
No. <laughs> Expiration dates. How many, how many people use the sniff test when it comes to your milk, right? Yeah. I'm a date, I'm a date guy. If the date says expired, I'm not taking a chance, right? Unless it involves cereal and then maybe I might risk it. But then if it's too many days, right? Like I'm not going to mention Vanessa's name, but the date, right? It's only about the sniff test, right? So I'll see kids eating a bowl of cereal and then I'll go to the refrigerator and see the date that's on there. It's like five days old. And I'm like, what are you doing? Putting that on your cereal. Mom smelled it. She said it was okay. Right? <laughs> that's great. A couple more. Expiration dates. Brad, warranties. I know, right? It always breaks down the day after the warranty expires. Alice, meat, yes. Sushi especially, right? You're eating that the day you get it. Sammy, ice cream. Amy, lottery tickets. She said that with such a sense of disappointment, didn't she? Lottery tickets. Expiration dates. So what I want to suggest to you tonight is that some sins have an expiration date. Matthew 15, verses 10 and 11. Let me read this to you. This is right in the middle of our narrative. Then I want to jump over to Leviticus chapter 11. Matthew 15, verses 10 and 11. It says, summoning the crowd, he told them, listen and understand. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles them. All right, now let me read Leviticus 11, then I want to talk about that a little bit. All right, Leviticus 11, I'm going to read the first few verses out of this chapter. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and said, Tell the Israelites that you may eat meat of these kinds of land animals. You may eat any animal with divided hooves and that chews the cud. So it has to be both. Both criteria have to be met. But among the ones that chew the cud or have hooves, you may not eat these. So if it has one or the other, it doesn't pass the test. If you eat it, it will defile you. It will be a sin. So then he goes on and gives us a list. The camel, though it chews the cud, does not have hooves. It is unclean for you. The hyrax, which is like a rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have hooves. It is unclean for you. The hare, a rabbit, though it chews the cud, does not have hooves, it is unclean for you. Now see, if I had been a Jewish person living thousands of years ago, I'm good so far. Right? I was in Niger, Africa a few years ago. There's nothing about a camel that would make you want to eat it. You with me? I'm just, I'm just saying. But verse 7 would be troublesome deep to my heart as a man born in Virginia. The pig pierces barbecue. I'm just, I'm just saying. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just putting it out there. Just putting it out there. The smoke, right? I'm just throwing the restaurants. If you're from Richmond, Bill's, Bill's Barbecue, right? Come on. Back in the day, you would drive up, and they'd come out, and put the tray on your window, and bring you these mince barbecue sandwiches. Fond memories of being there with my father. The pig, though it has divided hooves, does not chew the cud. It is unclean for you. Do not eat any no pork rinds. Do not eat any of their meat or touch, listen, or touch their carcass. Not only can't, you can't eat it, you can't even touch, touch their carcass after they've died. They are unclean for you. It's important that you hear that 
because it's important that you understand what Jesus said some 2,000 years ago. No time in history had a rabbi ever, ever, in the centuries of the history of Israel, no one had ever stood up and said, you can eat this food. It would have been absolute heresy. It would have been borderline blasphemy. Everybody in that crowd would have just gasped, what did he just say? Everybody. And as you read this story, like we did last week, even his disciples came to him and said, hey, I think maybe you're just taking a little bit too far, right? How do they do it? They said, don't you realize that you've offended the Pharisees, right? They had to find a, a way to maybe do it as a, that didn't seem like they were rebelling. But deep in their heart, they were saying, Jesus, I think maybe this time you've taken it too far. Now, we read what Jesus teaches here in Matthew 15, and we say, of course, right? We, we read that, and we say, of course that's true. Of course what we eat doesn't defile us. Of course it's the words that come out. But the only reason you've got an of course is because you're standing on the other side of 2,000 years of history of that teaching being at play in the world. The only reason that it's second nature for you, the only reason you can read in that and go, why were they confused about that to begin with, right? Because you've got 2,000 years of history of that teaching being in play in the church. But when Jesus said it, it's the first time ever that a religious leader who was a Jewish person in the first century would ever speak such words. All right, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Acts 10. I love that this story, the timing of God, come on, is, a, is about a soldier. Here's we're celebrating Veterans Day. There's, there was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius. I was wondering why that was so blurry. There you go. Somebody put something in my water, but it was just my reading glasses weren't on. A centurion means that, that, that he was in charge of, of, of 100, 100 soldiers, 100 men. It was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man, and he feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. At about three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw a vision and an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Looking intently at him, he became afraid and said, what is it, Lord? And he told him, come on, may this be said over all of our lives. Your prayers and your acts of charity have come up as a memorial offering before God. Could it be that we could strive to live such a life that would get God's attention? Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. you gotta, you got to love the specificity here of this prophetic insight that, that he's getting. He doesn't know these people. He doesn't know anything about these people, right? And then here the angel of the Lord is telling him who to get to and where to go. Now when the angel had spoken to him and had gone, he called two of his household slaves and a devout soldier who was one of those who attended him. And after explaining everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. you got to imagine how that conversation went, right? They're walking out going, Cornelius, right? 
Can you imagine being called in by your boss at work? Okay, an angel was just here, right? You're calling HR as soon as you get back to your desk, right? He's explaining this elaborate story that he's had a vision from God and he's sending them on this faraway errand to get these people, but yet they go. Verse nine, the next day, as they were traveling and they were nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the housetop at about noon, and then he became hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he went into a visionary state, and he saw heaven opened and an object coming down that resembled a large sheet being lowered to the earth by its four corners. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth, like the one that Mike Nall had in the video, and the birds of the sky. And then a voice said to him, which was one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And all the hunters in the audience said, amen. Come on. Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, no Lord. Those two words don't belong together. You tracking? No and Lord. That was part of last week. God has the final say. No, Lord, Peter said. This is important. For I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And we don't know the exact timing. Church historians, they, they, they're, ne they're not ever going to know for certain. But this is probably somewhere between five to ten years after Jesus is teaching in Matthew 15. You tracking? Peter believed that Jesus was the son of the living God, the Messiah, and now he knows for sure because Jesus has been raised from the dead and everything that's happened in the five to ten years since his death. Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you can eat this food. You can eat it. I'm, I'm God on the earth. I'm telling you, it's okay. Five to ten years later, what does Peter say? I have never eaten anything unclean. Traditions that God wants to change sometimes hold us even beyond the liberty that he himself gives us. A second time, a voice said to him, what God has made clean, you must not call common. This happened three times. And then the object was taken up and that you think three is an accident? How many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times, right? That's not a coincidence. God's trying to get Peter's attention. God's trying to say to Peter, are you going to let me be the boss of your life or not? Or are you going to rely on your own understanding or not? Because the last time you did that, we know how that turned out. Sometimes God reminds us of the sin of our past, not to demean us, not to shame us, but to motivate us and to challenge us to walk in the liberty that he has now given us. And he's saying to Peter, Peter, if this thing's going to work, if this relationship's going to work, you have to do what I say. If you were at the marriage conference this weekend, you know that that kind of conversation in your home isn't a good conversation. I'm just saying, I'm throwing that in for free if you weren't there. But in your relationship with God, that's the conversation that he has with you and I. I'm the boss. You do what I say. He has the final say. While Peter was deeply perplexed about what the vision, about the, what the vision he had seen might mean, right? He's still saying, I, don't, I can't figure this thing out. The men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked direction to Simon's house, stood at the gate. And they called out, asking if Simon, who was also named Peter, was lodging there. 
While Peter was thinking about the vision, the Spirit told him, three men are here looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and accompany them with no doubts at all because I have sent them. Peter's world is getting turned upside down. God's telling him, reminding him, there's nothing by way of food that can be sin to you. It cannot. It cannot defile you. And not only that, I want you to go with these that I've sent. Now, the, the, the Mosaic Law is very specific about some other things, about their interactions with what would be called Gentiles, which is anybody who's non-Jewish. You're not allowed to be in their home. You're not allowed to touch their possessions. You're not even allowed to sit down and share a meal with them even if you don't eat the food that's unclean. Strict rules, strict guidelines that every proper Jewish person would have followed. Peter is absolutely confused. You can eat this food. You can go with these people. You can enter into their house that you can touch the things that they're going to give you by way of hospitality while you're there. All right, let's jump down to verse 28. Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has shown me that I must not call any person common or unclean. And this is an important verse for us in this text because some people say because of this verse, the vision doesn't have anything to do with food. But I don't believe that because we interpret the Bible in light of the rest of Scripture. And because Matthew 15 is in the Bible, we know, we believe that God is saying more than one thing. Oftentimes when God speaks to us, it has manifold meaning. It has many veins of truth that come to us. And so we know the first truth is God trying to break Peter free from this bondage of food. It's a sin that had an expiration date. And now, because of this verse, Peter is revealing to us that there was another understanding that the Holy Spirit brought to him, was that not only is food not unclean, but no person is unclean. You can eat anything you want with whoever you want to be with. It's a good day for Peter. All right, let's jump over to verse 44. Oh, I love this story. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers, that's people who would have been Jewish or who converted to Judaism. Circum and who were now also followers of Christ. Who had come with Peter were astounded because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles also. They could not believe that God was moving in the lives of people who were non-Jewish. They had an expectation that he would move amongst Gentiles, but only after they had converted to Judaism. For they heard them speaking in spiritual language, or other languages, my Bible renders it, and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, can anyone withhold water, that's their water baptism, and prevent these from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. And Peter said, yes, as long as there's going to be bacon. All right. Now you might say, Fred, that was for then. You, you, you found me some stuff in the Bible that had an expiration date 
but the expiration date's recorded in Scripture. And I would say to you, fair enough. But if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, this is the Apostle Paul himself writing a letter that he started at the church of Corinth, and he lays down his authority to correct something that they've stopped doing. Listen to this. This is beginning in verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. So if a woman's head is not covered, her hair should be cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off of her head or her head shaved, she should be covered. I'm going I'm to actually keep reading. I'm going to keep reading here. Verse 7, a man, in fact, should not cover his head because he is God's image and glory, but a woman is man's glory. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. And man was not created for woman, but woman for man. And the marriage retreat goes into this text a little bit. It's chauvinism has twisted this stuff. This is why a woman should have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. However, in the Lord, a woman is not independent from man, and it goes on. But listen to what it says in verse 13. Judge yourselves. Is it proper for women to pray to God with her head uncovered? And jumping down to verse 16, listen to what Paul says. Serious business. Paul says, but if anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. Paul is saying there, don't argue with me on this. He said, I am the Apostle Paul, and I am telling you that we have set you free from many traditions. We have set you free from many of the things that God has said now expired, but this one has not. That's what Paul's saying. And when you study the history of the church, you know that the early church, that women, when they participated in the services, they had to have their head covered, right? Did you see a hat on Celeste today? Right? Did you see Vanessa reaching for a doily before she got up there at the end of the worship set? I dare say that not one of you in here tonight said, what are they doing? Now, you might find some churches that still practice that, and we're not saying anything disrespectful about them, but you're going to be hard-pressed to find a church that still practices that because every one of those churches understand the principle that we're talking about tonight. There are times where God says that had a relevance and a meaning for a time, but it's not for today. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, if we don't embrace this principle that's plainly laid out for us in Scripture, we will find ourselves putting boundaries on ourselves that God never intended, which forces us into a world of legalism. But if we don't do it carefully, we will find ourselves giving liberties that we should not have, and then we're destined and doomed to a life of permissiveness. Now, you might say, well, Fred, this kind of conversation makes me uncomfortable. Hey, I hear you. But we should never violate the integrity of truth because of fear. We should never violate the integrity of truth for fear. Now, I'm not saying that you can go home with a pair of scissors and start cutting out all the parts of the Bible that you don't like, especially the parts on giving. You can't cut those out, right? You can't, you can't do that. That's not what we're talking about. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're not saying that you get to take this book and decide what you like and what you don't like. But, but what we are saying, what we are saying is this conversation about what is sin, it is a weighty conversation. 
There is a heaviness. It's not something that we should be flipping about. There's a sacredness to this responsibility that God has given the church to say, what is sin? And for us at the City Life Church, there are three parts of our journey of asking the question, what is sin, that are very important to us. The first one is this. What, what is this in light of the rest of Scripture? We always interpret the Bible in light of itself. We've got to ask ourselves the question, if it's something that has an expiration date, how does it affect the whole rest of the Bible? You've got to wrestle with that. The next one is this, in light of counsel, you cannot make these kinds of decisions by yourself. You cannot do it. That's part of the gift of the church. It's part of the responsibility of the church is that there's understanding that we don't have that other people have, that we hold ourselves accountable, that that we wrestle with it with one another. And then the council should also, which goes into this idea of light, in light of doctrines, what do people who are wiser than ourselves have to say about it? So any church that's out there that has zero affiliation at all always makes me nervous. Whenever I meet a pastor, one of the very first questions I ask is, hey, what's your connect? What group are you a part of? And the ones that say I'm not a part of anything, that always gives my heart pause. It always gives me a sense of caution to pursue a relationship with them because I think that's a dangerous way to live. It's a dangerous place for a church to be and to have no accountability whatsoever. Last February, we made a decision as a church to join Elam Fellowship that's based out of Lyman, New York, and there's a link to their website on our website. They've got a Bible college. They've got scholars. They've got a longstanding history of wrestling with questions like this. As a church, there's a sense of safety that we have because there's somebody that we're beholden to. There's somebody we're accountable to. There's somebody who we've given permission to tell us no. That's how we lead. That's how I lead as an individual, as a lead pastor, and it's how our church functions. If you've not given people permission in your life to tell you no, even just in your personal life, that's a dangerous way to live. It's how our governance team operates. It's how our church collectively operates can't make these decisions by yourself. But if you follow some of the patterns that are laid out for us and how you make these kinds of decisions, then we get to better answers when it comes to asking the questions, what is sin? We don't want to be a church that's legalistic, and we certainly don't want to be a church that's permissive. We want to be a church that gets it right. And if you're going to be a church that gets it right, sometimes you're going to make mistakes. That's part of the journey. But you've got to be willing to swallow your pride and acknowledge those mistakes that you make. But there's got to be something in your heart that says, I'm not ever, ever going to be afraid to ask the tough questions. It's not what God has for you. It's not what God has for me. And it's certainly not what God has for this church. If you've been tracking with us in this series, you know that a beautiful part of this series are something called City Life Stories that people have just been talking about their own personal journey that they've been on as a follower of Christ. And so tonight, tonight we get to hear from Denise, who's part of our Williamsburg campus. She's working on her doctoral degree at William & Mary in education. So I want to introduce you tonight to Denise Miller. I was thinking about what to tell myself when I was a teenager, you know, just what being a Christian would be like, what life now would be like, and what things I would want to remember. And I decided to put that in a poem. It was just like my testimony. It didn't seem like much, but it's what was on my heart. 
What I would say to my younger self. Remember to love. Remember to give. Remember you are loved. And remember to live. On those long nights when you thought something might hear your prayer, something did. Someone did. A loving God who was always there. Appreciate your best friend. For when he died, you remembered when. When all he could tell you was some information from an old Sunday school class. Or read scriptures to you at night, hoping you would sleep and stop talking at last. But little did you know that these moments are few. And you would lay face down in the middle of a chapel floor, asking God what to do how to get up, how to live on, how to sing praises in the middle of the storm. You wondered what would happen if God heard you talk. God will be there. He will pick you up and help you walk. One day, you will know that God loves you so. Even in those days, when your loved ones think you being a Christian is a phase, you will look at them, be born again, get baptized, your heart circumcised, and remember when. Soon you will head off to college, meet sisters in Christ with lots of knowledge, hope, dream, and love together. However, at the end of the day, you will hope and pray for your heart to be as light as a feather. When you learn God is there and you don't have to fear, you will cast your burdens. You would have heard him, God your Father, God your provider, God your everything. Remember when, myself, my friend, God loved you, he heard you, and he died for your sake. I wasn't raised Christian, but even as a young person, God gave me lots of dreams and words and thoughts. And now in Christ, I actually get to live those things out. I didn't know what life would be like now and I wish myself then could see myself now. Come on, that's good, isn't it? I'm going to invite the worship team to, to come back up. We've got another, another song we're going to do together tonight. You know, one of the questions that we, we gave people a list of questions that they could work off of and, uh, before we did the uh, City Life story. One of the questions that we said was, what, what, if, what if you could go back in time and tell yourself something? After all that you've lived, after, what if you could go back in time and tell yourself something then? What, what would it be? And so she, she writes this poem. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if that was possible? If who she was 10 years ago, 
15 years ago, 20 years ago, she could read that from herself. I love that part where she says, I, I wish that the person that I was then could see who I am in now. I, I, I wish the person that I was then could see who I am now. H how many of you, if that can happen for you, would the person you were then not recognize who that person is now? H how many of you would say, that's not ever going to happen? Or, or, or maybe if some of you are honest, you would say, I hope I never become that person, whether it be for the good or for the bad. Those are powerful questions for us to wrestle with because we can't go back in time and do that. But there is the time that's waiting for us in our tomorrows. We can't go back and do that in our yesterdays, but, but there are these days that lie ahead. And Jesus looks at you and I and he says, if you'll go on a journey with me, if you're willing to ask me your questions, I can't, I can't tell you that's going to be easy, but, but I can say you, you're going to like, you're going to like where we're going. You stand with me. My favorite part in Deneen's story is when she said, what, what, what if, what if God hurt me? What, what if he heard me when I talked to him? What, what, what if he heard me when I talked to him? As we worship him in this song together, it might be that you're here tonight and you have never talked to God. Or, or maybe it's just been a long time. God longs to hear the sound of your voice and he's got an answer for every question you could ever ask him. Let's worship together.